All right, man. Welcome to the introduction for Crow Triple Seven Radio, episode 145. We've had to break this up in two parts to put the, uh, I guess, the most interesting part in hour two, which is unfortunate, but that's the nature of the beast these days, isn't it? We don't need any more Encyclopedia Britannica overlays on the videos or flat-out removal, or strikes, or whatever the hell comes next. In part one, we're going to talk about memes, memetics. Very few people understand that when I make my episode images and I put that thing at the top, transmuting the world mind into a fantasy-based reality, it's based on memes. And memes are considered to have a life, an actual life cycle of their own. There are complicated methods that are employed to track when full penetration has occurred, when the life cycle of a meme has run, they are crafted carefully. And this is going to relate directly to hour two, where we use the movie Soylent Green, which, by the way, is in products near you now in some way, shape, or form. But we will also show you the etymology of the word Soylent is silent. These things are not spoken about uh, fully or openly. And we've had to do research, look up congressional laws and everything else to show you that the movie Soylent Green was basically pre-echoing what we can see going on now. Anyhow, let's jump in with Jason Lindgren and Wayne McCroy and do memetics in hour one and basically ideas based on the movie Soylent Green in hour two. There it is, man. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 145. We've got an interesting episode today. Jason Lindgren is with me and Wayne McCroy is back. As fate would have it, we started talking about old movies and Soylent Green came up. And believe it or not, Soylent Green has quite a message to tell in the movie, and it has a direct bearing on products we use in the modern age. So what we're going to do here, I'll make a pun, but you'll get the pun in a minute, is we're going to make like Phoenicia and go phonetic. Jason, welcome. Well, for the first time ever, I think I'm saying, good evening, Crow. (laughs) Why is it the first time ever? Well, normally I'm saying good morning because we always record in the mornings. That's right. Duh. You know. <laughs> and for some context, we just got off the horn doing our Sunday night show. So lots of radio for us tonight. Right. So I, I guess I get a free pass on this episode because I'm always better earlier in the day. <laughs> but um, let's do let's do the typical thing. Um, I think the I, I don't have any shows to announce. And by the way, people, I'm I'm open to go on shows again. I was getting all kinds of requests and I was too busy. So you people who have been asking me, go ahead and send me an email again and I'll get some time aside. The reason I've been so busy is because Jason has given me a full two hour cut of the film Shoot the Moon. But in that vein, uh, Jason has nearly reached his funding goal. Uh, As we came off the air from Crow 777 Live tonight, we noticed that someone had given a big donation and pulled us within $1,000 of the goal. So there's all that, Jason. That's actually the second one this person has donated. And apparently she has a story she wants to tell us, and I'm very interested to know what exactly it is. So huge appreciation to you. Thank you so much. You've half-funded this whole thing, and I'm just a little blown away by that and humbled too. Very appreciative. Well, we should also say thank you to all the 5 and $10 donations because that's really what makes this a feasible thing. Yes. Um, but anyhow, do we have anything else for the intro? Do we want to queue it up or do we want to get Wayne in here? Well, real quick, I'd like to say that you and I both should really start doing more shows, and I usually don't even try. I've been on a few here and there, but with the film coming out and the fact that YouTube is slamming, hard slamming people out of existence, yeah, we just need to start going to every platform we can that has a message that 
is close enough to what we do that we feel comfortable doing it. So we are open to suggestions. If you want me or Crow or both of us even, that's cool too. Let us know because we really would like to start making our presence even more known out there, especially since God only knows if people are even going to be able to find what we are doing right now. It's a good thing you mentioned that, Jason. Just so everybody knows, um, on December 12th of 2018 uh, is when I was hit with the sub scrub by YouTube and I lost thousands of subs. I forget how many days went by where they were showing a positive gain, but the actual numbers only showed that I'd gained like seven subs over all that time. So I lost a bunch of subs, then I didn't gain a bunch. But here's here's the sad part. Since December 12th, all traffic all ad revenue, all everything, including referrals out to Crow Triple Seven Radio, are, are cut by less than fifty percent. So, or more than fifty percent. That's what's going on. Um, I've got endless reports that people are not getting notified when I put up a video. I've got endless reports that when I've actually sent emails out from my private email client to announce the new Crow Triple Seven Radio episodes, they're not getting delivered. I've been told that the DOD, Department of Defense Networks, have blocked me telling users trying to go to Crow Triple Seven Radio that my site is phishing for their identity, but here's the rub. Normally when you're given that made-up nonsense that has nothing true about it, there's a way to keep going to the website. Apparently, uh, to the two people I've talked about on a DOD network, that's not the case. So if people like what we're doing here, uh, the idea of putting out links or spreading the content is going to become critical. And I'll tell you another thing. We're not conspiracy theorists. Jason and I don't put out a damn thing that we have not investigated thoroughly. It doesn't make us all the way right all the time by any means. We're humans. We make mistakes. But I'll tell you another thing. When we find we've made a mistake, we come right back on the air and we say, my bad, I made a mistake. Um, so the idea that somehow we're making up conspiracies is is blatant. But anyhow, that's enough of that, man. Let's get Wayne in here. Welcome, Wayne. Hi, gentlemen. How are you doing this evening? Good, good, man. Um, I don't know, something like a week ago, you kicked me a word doc. And as I read through it, uh, all I could say is you get it, man. It was all about, it was all about, in a way, breaking down when I put on every episode image at the top, which is something to the effect of alchemically transmuting the world mind into a fantasy-based reality. But you've really taken this concept and blown it out to get into the phonetic meaning of things and the alchemical usage of memes. Jason, anything you want to add before we dive? Great piece of work you've got here, Wayne. You sent us this, uh, what, a week ago, maybe? Great concepts right off the bat, but let's let you take it away and explain what it is you are really trying to get across here. Okay, well, basically what this all boils down to in a nutshell is, uh, like Crow says, words have meaning. And uh, this, this pretty much is how it all encapsulates into the whole control scheme that the controllers are putting in place. They use uh, these words to kind of impart uh, a symbolic message in the collective consciousness. And this has been going on for a long time. And uh, this is actually a concept that's called the alchemical meaning. Now, up until just a few years ago, most of your average people in the public would have no idea what the word meme means. Most people have never even heard that come up in a conversation. Up until, of course, the, the last few years in this internet age. And now, uh, what's the biggest popular thing on social media? Everybody's posting memes, right? Right. 
And they actually, it's from science's point of view, they a meme actually has what they consider to be a life of its own. And just to before I hand it back to you, Wayne, um, people that want to look up and know something more than this ridiculous word we throw around called meme, if you actually want to know something, you'll be looking up the word memetic. But back to you, man. Absolutely. There's a whole science involved behind it, and it's an alchemical science, an ancient alchemical science. And uh, this uh, alchemical meme concept is one of the biggest social engineering tools that they have going right now. Um, it's kind of been one of the biggest ones that's been going for a long time. But uh, it now, by and large, I think people are becoming more aware of this concept because of the internet meme. And you could kind of see how it could start to shape your opinions and shape your your thought forms. And uh, this this is all by design. And that's the thing. There's an alchemical concept behind it. And a lot of it actually plays into the language. So uh, where do you want to go from there with this, gentlemen? Well, there's, there, yeah, I mean, in some ways, what we're about to break down, you could almost equate the usage of memes in the alchemical sense, the misuse of alchemy that we're going to outline here as a mind virus. But I will point out it's not just that these are used. There are actually scientific applications that allow full penetration of a meme to be specified when it occurs, how far the meme is spread, when it won't spread anymore, and when it's decreasing. That life cycle I mentioned, when a meme is put into the consciousness of, of the world at large. There is a form of algebra, and it uses geometric I don't even know if it's geometric algebra. I've forgotten the name for it, but it uses geometric patterns to show how far a meme has been inserted into a particular group when it has reached max density, these types of things. But Jason, I'll make a suggestion to you. Why don't we handle the word doc where Wayne outlined this and you can just read it off. We'll, we'll treat each paragraph as if it was one of our typical bulleted outlines. Sure. The concept of the alchemical meme has been used for thousands of years to convey ideas and universal truths, but the concept has been hijacked by the technocratic elite. This is the Cadillac of all social engineering tools. Let's explain this further by looking at an alchemical science that goes hand in hand with the alchemical mean, and that is the science of phonetic Kabbalah. You'll begin to understand how this all ties together in just a moment when we break apart these ideas, purify out their original meanings, and marry them back together. And so to just to point out to people that the things we put forth here are absolutely researched, all of it. Even the basis for this episode was derived from a tagline I put at the top of every episode image, which says, as I mentioned before, something to the effect of transmuting the world mind or, or alchemically transmuting the world mind into a fantasy-based reality. What Wayne basically did was recognized what was held within that tagline, and then he busted out what we're about to cover. Uh, do you want to add anything in here, Wayne, before we keep pushing? I just wanted to add that I think that we tend to overlook the nuances of language in all of this. And I've come to discover that language is a key component to this, uh, just the use of words. Uh, you'll notice... Whenever the elite puts something out, they craft it very carefully with what words and stuff they use. All you have to do is watch any kind of a political speech or even if you watch one of the ridiculous uh, Hollywood awards shows, the things that they say and they do are all very carefully crafted and scripted. So uh, they're very careful about the wording that they use for these things. And there's a reason behind that, because uh, these words convey more than just the surface meaning of the word. 
And that's what we're really getting to the heart of here. All this stuff is kind of layered in symbolism and in meaning underneath the different words. And in order to really understand it, you have to alchemically break it down back to the etymology of the root words. So right. I, I think that's where we're going. That is where we're going. And we're also going to touch on the idea that the intention can be embedded into these symbols and ideas as well. But to to put a fine point on it, there there is no denying that words have meaning. And your opening statement there is critically important. So many of us go through a day using so many words that we may not even think, do we know what this word means? We understand what we're trying to convey when we use them. But the fact is, is that there's a litany of words, even from me or anyone else, where unless you've taken the time to get to the meaning of that word, um, you're taking it all for granted. And this reminds me of a conversation I had a couple nights ago where the idea of the difference between a theory and a law came up. And the people wanted to argue that gravity was absolutely a real thing, unassailable. And I pointed out that gravity is a theory. That heated up the conversation, at which point they decided that it didn't make any difference whether a thing was a theory, theoretical, or a law, at which point the conversation ended. The only reason I bring this up is to show that words do in fact have meaning, and when the idea of law is assigned to some natural process, that's almost like someone saying God did this and it can't be violated. But let's go, Jason. Phonetic Kabbalah is the alchemical science of breaking down the original meanings of the spoken word, which is not the same as the written word, very important point, and using the principle of correspondence to relate similar sounding words to one another to create a string of hidden meanings, a secret form of communication used to convey ideas in the form of symbols rather than literally spoken sentences. Only adepts of the highest orders of the many secret societies have the key or the cipher to understand the real meaning of the symbols conveyed by the spoken words of an initiate who is trying to communicate a secret message. The profane, as they call us, will not understand the message, but their unconscious minds will be imprinted with the intent behind the message. And the first thing I think of with this is, of course, Freemasonry. Well, before I hand it to Wayne, this always cracks me up because if some group of people is going to call another group of people profane, when the very thing that makes them profane is the first group depriving them of information, then who's responsible for profanity? But anyhow, go ahead, Wayne, run with it. I think the important thing we need to remember here is uh, that intent or intention is one of the most important facets behind all of this. Now, uh, words could have multiple different meanings, and based upon how they're used in, in the context they're used, people could mean different things by them. But what's the most important thing alchemically is the intent behind the word. And uh, that's something where, you know, you could kind of get into a little bit of a kind of a gray area where somebody says something that sounds real positive or, or really good on the surface, but when their intention behind it is bad, it brings about the manifestation of that bad intention of it. And uh, that's something that I think is key to this whole thing. That's why, you know, these politicians come out and make all these promises that they're going to do this and that. But uh, what they really mean and their intention behind that is something totally different than what they're saying. So that's my view on that. Well, I think you're pointing out the most important thing. I don't know how many times I've come on this show because someone's screaming they saw 33 and everyone should dig <laughs> a hole and 
bury themselves in it. And I point out time and time again, you're going to see 33 a lot of times in your life, and it doesn't mean dick until you can put some intent to it. Now, part of that is if you see it coming from mainstream media, there's your intent on the face of it, just who's delivering the message. But I think it's a critically, critically important thing you're pointing out. For me, the foundation of all decision-making in these types of situations is resting on what the intent is. And it's not always easy to show intent. And that's part of the problem with what we're going to get into here. Right. And that's the whole thing in a nutshell. I mean, even when you look at the numbers game that they always play, the intention behind it is the important thing, as you've pointed out. So like you said, you'll see 33s all over the place. And not every single usage of these certain numbers and stuff is necessarily intended to be bad or evil. And people look at it and, you know, they start screaming, you know, 33, 33, that's the Masons, it's the Masons. And it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily the case. What do you think it means when they come out and say everyone's getting flu shots? What do you think the symbolism there is? I I think they're trying to kill us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, wait a minute. I just got one today. I was just hoping I wouldn't get the flu. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. But before we jump into the next point, Wayne, um, there's a side of this that I want to kind of predefine. um, And people are going to miss this. And when you started talking about phonetic Kabbalah and things like this, People think it's a joke uh, when they point out that what's being done with the usage of a word is on the face of it, a word's been presented, but the meaning of it is because it sounds like another word. And before I hand it over to you to kind of address this a little bit, I will point out many of the older languages that get held up in these secret societies, uh, some of them use only consonants. In other words, there's no vowel. In other words, if I had a word like kill, it would just be K-L-L, right? So if you wanted to be sneaky, you could make it K-A, or you could go with the typical K-I to get kill, or you could put a K-Y in there to make it someone's name Kyle, but it's not really the same game. But in my view, this is what the sound like game is probably based on. What do you think? I'm with you 100% there. Uh, That's basically what a lot of it is in a nutshell, and you could get total different meanings from it just by playing around a little bit with the sounds. And the important thing to remember with this is this is about the spoken word, not the written word. So even if you're just replacing it with a certain letter it's or a certain sound, it changes the meaning totally. And uh, it changes the intention, I should say, not necessarily the meaning, but it could change the intention behind it, not necessarily just the meaning. Well, let's just do a a little teaser for what's going to come in the second half where we're really going to be jumping into Soylent Green. Go ahead and demonstrate the sounds like idea behind the word Soylent, because when you did the etymology, I thought it was brilliant. Soylent sounds like silent, right? Absolutely. Soylent Green. So if you're thinking silent, to silence, to cease, to make something cease. And green, of course, invokes, uh, well, this phonetic Kabbalah in and of itself, for one thing. Uh, the Masons refer to it as the green language. Uh, if you know Many of the higher orders of Masons uh, are familiar with this concept. This was a, a field of research I was totally unfamiliar with, and so uh, I started reading through Falconelli again. And uh, once I saw exactly the, the connections being made there, and I researched it a little further, I found out this this is really something, you know, that's important to be able to understand and grab a hold of. So uh, the green language, that's what the Masons refer to it as. It's also known uh, in a lot of occult circles as the language of the birds as well. If anybody wants to, you know, start researching this stuff for themselves, 
And there's a whole different uh, set of directions that it could take you. But uh, also invoking in, you know, Soylent Green invokes the term green, which immediately brings to mind sustainable development. Mm. Yeah. Good, good point. I was going to say a bit about the bird language, but I'll wait. Um, it's absolutely uh, in alchemical treatises. Uh, you can find the idea of the bird language and just I'll, I'll briefly put this down and then hand it to you, Jason. Um, the idea here is, is that a human being can literally learn the language of a bird. And that bird can tell you things about the world that human beings typically don't know. Almost the idea of all the people who never understood that they could learn something from bird language are way down here on the lower rungs of the ladder. But these other guys who do understand have been elevated to an unknown level. But anyhow, back to you. So how does this work in conjunction with the concept of the alchemical meme? To better understand, let's look at the phonetic Kabbalah breakdown of the word alchemy. A-L-C-H-E-M-Y. Alchemy is derived from the word alchem, A-L-K-H-E-M, which means the black. This is often construed as relating to the negrito process, which is also correct, but there is a deeper esoteric meaning behind it. The black refers to the unconscious mind or the collective unconscious as the source for all conscious or created things. This is how the controllers capture our imaginations and is why they use media and entertainment as a tool to implant ideas into the collective unconscious. This is the deliberate misuse of the alchemical meme to, trans to transmute the world mind into fantasy. This is where the Jungian idea of archetypes comes into play. Jung was a highly skilled alchemist who understood these ancient sciences and translated them into terms that line up with the modern science of psychology. Yeah, basically, uh, when you take a look at this, uh, that's absolutely what it is. When you do a further breakdown of the, the term alchemy and come back to that alchem word, which I think it was Arabic originally. I could be mistaken on that, but no, uh, you're right. You're you're right. That's what I found too. the the typical The typical idea of black sand was a later thing, but go ahead. Yeah, but uh, basically, it translates as the black, and in uh, deeper occult or esoteric circles, uh, the black refers to the unconscious mind or or the uh, collective unconscious. So this is kind of uh, I would call it kind of almost an allegorical sense of this is uh, where source comes from, is from the black, the unconscious. This is where uh, everything manifests out of. So in past episodes, Jason and I have endeavored to show um, that Freud and Jung, um, the work they did was like a flip point from the time before those men to the time after those men, there was a whole different thing going on. And so much of what those two men laid down, even with their differences, was run with later and implemented into places like Tavistock and other social engineering places. But what few people understand about Jung is this dude is a full-on alchemist. He's full-on occult. I mean, what would you say, Wayne? Do you think people have any idea just how deeply into alternative <laughs> ways of being I don't even know how to state it. What would you say about it? I, I would say I think a lot of the movers and shakers in this world and, you know, the big names in, like, say, science or any of those type of fields, uh, a lot of them have a lot more occult backgrounds and ties than what people realize. 
And uh, I come from the vantage point. I really largely believe most of our science that we have today is completely misdescribed to us as to how it operates. That wouldn't be surprising at all. Right. I agree with you wholeheartedly, but I'll put it out to the people listening here. You know, when we put out an episode like this, we're inevitably going to see um, comments of what a pig Young was or what an idiot Freud was or though they were elites or they're de- regardless of what you think of these men. It wouldn't hurt anybody listening to pick up a few of the texts that came from these guys, because when you start to realize some, I mean, most people have a general idea of the things Jung wrote about. I think if you looked at some of those books, it would be a real eye-opener. And it's a bit like maybe sitting down to a board game and one guy knows the rules and all the secrets and the other guy's just sitting down to a board game. It's a bit like that. Well, I don't know about Jung, but old Uncle Siggy sure has a strong family line, doesn't he? Right. He's actually, we, we've covered this in a couple episodes back to back. He, he is, how would I say that in reverse? He is, the, he's not the double uncle. Um, Edward Bernays was the double nephew of uh, Sigmund Freud. Um, these, these powerful families that change the course of, uh, of history show up all over the place. And not only that, you know, one thing that always got me about that, and I'm going to get off track here for a minute, but that kind of implies when Bernays got here, he wasn't even an English speaker, you know? <laughs> I was just thinking about that. Interesting concept. I wonder if that's true. It had to be his second language, at least. And I don't think we could find any person that ever existed that changed Western culture more than Bernays. And again, we can tie him to Freud. And of course, Freud and Jung are two opposite sides of a coin. Maybe I can get away with saying it like that. I would like to add, I've never researched it, but I would not be surprised at all if Bernays was some form of an alchemist. Because uh, like you said, he changed this world in ways that uh, most people can't even imagine. One person could have that much of an effect. Well, it's my point of view um, that if you're going that far back, if you're near the turn of the 1900s or even the early 1900s, the very educated, well-born family members were certainly involved in what I would now call natural science, which is typically called alchemy now. There's maybe a distinction there. Um, But I think it was not that long ago. If I had to draw a, a blind guess, it's not a blind guess, it's an educated guess at where we really started to walk away from the idea of natural science, which is the forerunner and maybe the basis for alchemy, um, that would be in the early 1900s. You know, we're about to get guys like Einstein and Bernays is about to come do all his programming. So I I think it's safe to say that almost any well-educated bloodline of influence uh, was well-versed in the natural sciences. And let's not forget how well-versed he was with the concept of symbolism and how to use it in a massive way to completely control the mind. And of course, you're talking about a time period when we're referring to the early 20th century, when people weren't used to this bombardment that they have today, where you're just in perpetual overload of symbology everywhere in your face. Back then, it was a lot more of a simple time, I guess you could say. And other than advertisements out in the street and things like that, and then once radio kicked in, there wasn't a lot of this going on. So it's like people were ripe for the picking at that point. Yeah, you know, I I would also add, I I assume that was aimed mostly at Bernays, right? Yeah, yeah. To get back to Jung, you can read some of Jung's stuff, and it almost seems like you're reading something that a shaman who's just taken ayahuasca wrote. And I'm not even kidding. Most people have no idea um, what's in some of those books, and a lot of it's not easy reading. But again, uh, to, to look at these books will give you insight, whether you agree with what they're 
proposing or not. And clearly, I think it can be shown that what was discovered and what was proposed by people like Freud and Jung has been absolutely misused in an alchemical way by the powers that be. And I think places like the Tavistock might have been the main launching point for such efforts. Well said. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's exactly what's going on. They're playing this alchemical meme game all day long. And, uh, you know, we're we're the <laughs> beneficiaries of it, whether you want to call us beneficiaries or not. We're, we're the we, ones that are feeling the effects from it. Exactly. I think we need to benefit to be a beneficiary, but I'm just <laughs> words have meaning. So maybe benefit, we're uh, quote unquote, <laughs> maybe we're deficit. Ferians? <laughs> I don't know what the yeah, word I don't know what the you know what the term would be. I, I don't want to use the word victims. I, I guess that <laughs> would kind of be appropriate, but you know. Well, in, <laughs> in some ways, I guess that would be an okay use of the word, but it also implies um, that we had no choice. And the sad truth is, is each one of us has a choice. Each one of us can look into things and know things and just quit swallowing whatever's put on the spoon in front of us. But anyhow. The alchemical meme is the implanting of an archetypal idea into the collective unconscious. The meme grows, expands, and really seems to take on a life of its own as it spreads far and wide from its source in the black. This is akin to the concept of the hundredth monkey. The alchemical meme spreads without direct contact between individuals and groups. It would appear to ride the underground current or spread through the aether without any direction or control by the originator of the meme and culminating in a significant real-world effect promulgated by the minds of men through the principle of mentalism, our thoughts manifesting in reality. This is a spiritual alchemical process which transmutes our reality. Now, here's where you start getting into the kind of magical, I don't even know how you describe it, and it relates directly to intent. It's what Wayne was talking about earlier. You know, someone says with a smile on their face some flowery words to you, so it appears uh, that there's good intention there. But in the mind of that person, imbuing those memes, those words, those phonetic ideas, um, there's some bad intent going on, then the suggestion here is that it's been imbued with a negative intent. What would you add, Wayne? I would add that uh, definitely intent is the the whole thing behind it that is the important thing. Because let's give an example. If somebody says to you, oh, I hope you have a great day. Well, that sounds like if you were to write that out on a piece of paper, I hope you have a great day. That sounds like they're wishing you well. But uh, based upon their inflection and their tone, they could totally change up the meaning of this and the intent behind it. And uh, that just goes to show how much effect and power that intention truly has. Hashtag sarcasm button. Exactly. I was going to say a childish in your face example of what you're talking about would be anything sarcastic, right? They're saying one thing, but clearly it's not meant to be what the words themselves mean. Um, as Wayne just, I think I saw a skit where people were getting off a plane and the, the stewards and stewardess were saying, but bye, but <laughs> bye, you know, so on the face of it, it looks like they're saying adios to everyone. But what they're really saying is get the hell off my plane, you idiot. <laughs> but yeah. So to recap, the alchemical meme is a tool used to implant an intention into the collective unconscious, which then expands and manifests into our reality. The alchemical meme starts out as a verbal, language-induced symbol representative of the intention. This can be demonstrated in the Bible by, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God, and also the concept that creation was spoken into existence. This dichotomy of the spoken word versus the written word is a very important facet which we have not fully explored yet, but there is certainly a significance to it. So that is such a great example. And just to bring it down to layman's, pull it away from religion a little bit so that a wider audience, everyone will get a chance to think about it. Um, Consider you're sitting down at a desk one day and you decide you're going to write a poem, all right, that's comprised of words. But in your mind, when you're writing a poem, you're going to think about the words uh, in a non-written fashion because it's probably going to rhyme. So there's your intention, there's your mental execution, and there's symbolic writing. But at the end of creating the creation of that poem, you have brought a thing into existence that did not previously exist, as an example. Yeah, definitely you could see how language can be used to create something new, like new ideas. Everything starts as an idea or as a thought. So uh, with that being said... With this language, this language is our whole basis of communicating these new ideas and thoughts. And uh, this is the first step as for, you know, physical manifestation into this realm that we live in. So uh, with this use of language, there's a lot of different uh, alchemical memes, per se, that can be brought into the ether and brought into the forefront. Let's bring this into into a real world reality kind of thing. You go on Facebook, there's a zillion different pictures with words on it, right? Right. And if one is particularly amusing or hits a very salient point, but is probably actually quite amusing no matter what, it's going to spread. People are going to grab it and they're going to post it everywhere. And the original creator probably has no idea where the damn thing is going to end up. Or even like an archetypal image that gets used a lot, like the Pepe the Frog thing that I didn't even know what that was exactly when I saw it being used in conjunction with Donald Trump's uh, presidential run. So it's these things to, to take these concepts and give you a very real world thing you probably do when you're messing around your, on your iPhone a zillion times a day. These concepts are very much being used on a regular basis. Absolutely. They are. You're correct there. And another thing you'll notice is you'll find some of the same images, meme images being used with different uh, words or, or different concepts behind them. And that's another thing entirely, too. This this changes up the intention. So, And it's using something that's an already existing symbol with power behind it and changing up the intention behind the symbol. That's a good example. And I would ask people, um, let's take a popular meme from the last couple of years. How about the Ice Bucket Challenge? There's a meme for you. Um, what was the intent behind the Ice Bucket Challenge? There was a stated intent. But I would point out everyone who participated in that and We'll set aside the fact that it encodes ISIS or the idea um, to ISIS all. Every time someone gets hit with with cold water, a huge amount of, of emotional energy is going to come out of that. But to back up a little bit, you could almost consider that a meme isn't real until it's conveyed through speech or through language in some way. In other words, the foundation for every meme is like everything else. It's someone has to have an idea, right? That's what starts anything that's ever been in our world. But if the person who thinks of, say, any given meme uh, just thinks about it and never does anything with it or projects it out with language, has it ever started as an idea? And once that is put into language and projected out, there's an intention, regardless of whether that person thinks there is or not, every time words are spoken, there's an intention put behind it. But here's the thing to consider. Um, all you people on Facebook 
looking at memes thinking, well, this is a ridiculous show Crow's putting on. What what difference does any of it make? And, and what difference does any of it make? So think of the last meme you saw online it was probably some clever, funny cat playing a piano or some, you know, image. And consider right now, reasonably, logically, consider how many minutes of human consciousness were wasted, were tied up in that meme. And that sets aside whatever the original intention was or anything else about it. When you take that to a worldwide audience on a completely internet-connected sphere of humanity, you're probably looking at a meme that, that gets popular, many hundreds of thousands of hours of human intention wasted focusing on it just to make a point. Absolutely. And that's kind of how memes work too, is they, they capture one mind at a time and, uh, with this meme and then they spread and, and that's the thing. And, and how they spread is completely independent of the creator of the meme. I've wondered sometimes where some of these things actually come from. Now, for instance, I myself have been guilty of making a funny meme or two. Uh, the one that pops in my mind that I did a few months ago was a picture of chef Ramsey screaming, it's a common picture. It's always used with him. Can't we get through Halloween before we start seeing Christmas shit? Something like that. Then I only meant to be funny, but it's something that annoys me every year that you can't even get through October before they're already trying to ram Christmas down your throat to reinforce the narrative that it's all about materialism and go out and buy, 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 buy. But when you start talking about memes that are related to, say, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, all the crap that we saw in 2016, there are probably people who are really thinking hard about this stuff in a way that I wasn't when I put out a Chef Ramsey meme. Absolutely. <laughs> this is an opportunity. Let's think about that for a minute. Let's say we were going to make a meme. All right. Let's just right here, the three of us act like we're the meme creators and we're going to create the next big meme. Um, what would be the things that you would be concerned with? And I've actually given this some thought as we went into this episode. Um, I've never really followed any meme online, but I understand how they work and I've seen a couple of them. Um, I just don't surf that much. But for my part, most of the memes, memes you see are banal. Most of them are low-minded, and many of them are connected directly to some beloved aspect of Western culture. So if we were going to create a meme, here, I'll do it all by myself while I'm picking up all the airtime here. Let's use Star Trek, right? There's your beloved part of Western culture. The meme is going to have to do with drinking beer, okay? Um, as a matter of fact, it's going to be so low-minded that the meme is going to be based on Star Wars, and it's going to be about drinking beer and burping. Now you're starting to get the framework of an intentional meme trying to fit this thing we've seen happen so many times. So I'll say this. The new meme we put out would be this. You, you're not a good burper unless you can burp Kobayashi Maru with a single sip of a beer. <laughs> There's the new meme. You see what we're getting at here, folks? <laughs> Actually, you want to know something? Now, now that I've thought that out, I'll bet you that would work. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty funny. How many people uh, are going to try it? Let us know in the forum. Yeah, so so if anyone out there actually has the time, there's the new meme. It fits it fits all the little things I've noted about recent memes. It's banal, it's low-minded, it has to do with the beloved part of Western culture, Star Wars. It has to do with drinking alcohol, and instead of getting kicked in the nuts, we'll burp, okay? So that's a little step up. So anyone who can take a single sip of a beer and then burp in one shot, <laughs> Kobayashi Maru is the king of whatever the meme is. <laughs> Now, you know, three weeks from now, I'm going to be screaming at you, look what you've done. Well, oh, it, you know Maru. what? 
<laughs> that wouldn't bother me because we've outlined the intention and how the stuff works. And if that actually did become a meme, look how simple it was. What that, that took three minutes of my life. Well, the point would be very well proven if something actually comes of that. It's a funny idea. And actually, now that I'm hoping it doesn't become a meme because I don't want my name <laughs> assigned with the burping <laughs> Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> So for the last point on Wayne's write up here, this whole concept can be further expounded upon through something called the occultation of the linguistic dialectic. This is an important concept to understand. Whenever a spoken word is used, it automatically unconsciously invokes its dialectic opposite. And that is why the intent behind the word is so very important because it has a dual meaning the understood meaning, and, of course, its opposite meaning. It's like two sides of a coin, and depending upon the intent of the user, it can alternate in its effect upon our reality. This also reminds me, and correct me if I'm wrong here, either of you, is that why you get numbers inverted as well, because it can have a dual meaning like that. I would well, say that that's probably spot on, Jason. That's that's probably why like you can invert numbers and and still... It, it all plays back to what the intent is behind it. But that would be why I would say they would substitute sixes for nines and, and that kind of thing. Right. Not only is it an easy way to hide meaning to, to an uninitiated person, but I, if I had to venture a guess, and this is a guess, um, I think that the oldest occurrence of that for me would be in tarot, right? When they're putting the tarot cards out in front of you, you might get the love card, but then the person who's reading the cards say, no, but it's upside down. So it means the opposite of love. You know, it's this idea of duality of everything was built into these occult things. But Wayne, that was a hell of a paragraph. Um, do you want to expand it all? Uh, I think it's important to realize that uh, that that is true. Whenever something, a word is spoken, automatically it does invoke its opposite. We live in a dualistic system. And this, you know, directly relates back to uh, the hermetic principles once again. So, uh with that, you could use words in more than one way. I mean, that's the important thing. If the intention is the most important thing behind the word because the intention is what directs the true meaning and the outcome of the word rather than just the words themselves. Now, if you look in our standard English dictionary, generally the word will only have like, you know, it's, it's basic meaning, but when it automatically invokes its dialectic opposite meaning too in your mind. So say, if I say the color black, well, you'll automatically think also of the color white because that's its opposite dialectic. So it, it automatically invokes this thought. And that's another uh, thing that I think also ties and plays into this is uh, the way that they could mix up colors and stuff like that, too. It's the intention behind the color. Fantastic point. And it brought to mind as I was thinking about it, what about child psychology, right? You're, you're saying one thing with the intent of the opposite happening, or I just saw an example of it. Um, it was some silly thing I saw where two women were complaining about men. And, uh, the first woman says to the second, I swear you tell a man not to do a thing and that's all he wants to do. So then they turn around, um, and tell the man not to do the thing they want him to do. And of course it's successful. So it's, you know, it's levels of the idea you just expressed in social ways that we actually see occur. Right. And this, it goes all across the board. I mean, this is definitely something that happens in social situations as well. 
And people may not intentionally be meaning to bring about that dialectic opposite meaning when they, they express themselves or say something, but it's automatically there. It's intrinsic. It's, it's, it's naturally, it's ingrained in, in uh, the unconscious, the collective unconscious. It's ingrained in the, the black, if you will, because uh, that's, that's exactly how it works. We live in a dualistic system, and uh, because we live in a dualistic system, it's like two sides of a coin. So you say such and such a word. Like I said before, if I say black, you automatically think of white as well, because that's just the dualistic system we live in. That's a critically good point. Um, Jason, do you want to do the, uh, the actual quote from uh, the Plato Leibniz idea here? Just like coins, words also have two faces. They are simultaneously signs and what they signify. A word is, according to the philosophers Plato and Leibniz, constructed from particular functions that provide it with a structure that is analogous to the structure of the object it expresses. Surrealism was born out of the, dis of the discovery that reality is constructed in its entirety on the principle of equivalence. The term surrealism expresses precisely this double nature of reality. Dadaism, the current that preceded surrealism, corresponded quite simply to the uncertainty principle opposing the principle of identity. Dadaists used the two facets of words indistinctly. Surrealism starts from the distinct realities of the conscious and the unconscious and goes toward the synthesis of these components. All right, Wayne, you want to expound on that at all? The, the Dadaists and that whole idea, it's quite a bit held in that one little paragraph. Yeah, there's a lot of different uh, metaphorical thoughts that you could go to with this. Uh, and if anybody's interested in exploring this further, you could find uh, different books on surrealism, which overlaps in alchemy in a lot of strange ways that you might not necessarily expect. But uh, there's definitely a lot of interesting avenues that you could go down with this. Uh, basically, the main point uh, you need to take out of all of this is, once again, that whole dualism principle. It, it's utilized in everything it's utilized not only in in the language like we had discussed but also in symbology in the science of symbology symbols symbols convey multiple layers of meaning and there's definitely a dual uh a duality principle at work in a lot of different symbology too and this uh, directly corresponds to that what well, what's interesting about this is they flat out state that surrealism expresses precisely the double nature of reality. But you see, this is another good example of how we use language because somebody will see some crazy thing happen in a day. And what will they say? That's surreal. In other words, they're not equating it with a normal, real part of a day. It's something other. It's bizarre. When in fact, you know, we can find even as far back if there was a man such as Plato, the idea of surrealism being basically married to the occult ideas. All right, let's see if we can get through the end of this before the end of hour one. Having demonstrated this alchemical secret of the alchemical meme and the important alchemical science of phonetic Kabbalah, we can further demonstrate another concept of alchemical thought that gets frequently overlooked. That concept is that to better understand almost any alchemical text, it is better to work backwards, to use the end of the text as a guide through the beginning. So Wayne overlooked the concept the first time he saw the movie Doctor Strange to poke us in the eye. It was used as a joke at the end of the movie. They put the warnings after the spells. I caught that too, actually, the first time I saw it. Right. This corresponds to the controller's idea that the ends always justify the means. 
This is how they plan things. First, they envision the event they want. Then they work backwards in steps to their present time to figure out the best way to bring it to fruition. This is how they are so effective with their long-term planning. That's for sure. Yeah, reverse engineering anyone. So, you know, that's the depth and the level of what we're talking about. We talk about the long game all the time. So think about that. Think about sitting around with a group of people for six months or something, fashioning this critically complex idea, and then sitting there to backwards engineer it um, and what the best way to implement it would be. I mean, what would you add, Wayne? And by the way, that was a brilliant um, one-to-one with Dr. Strange. I caught it too. Yeah, that was something that kind of, I didn't the first time, like I kind of, I, I heard the joke and I thought, well, something seems to be, you know, there there might be something to that. And then when I looked into it further, then I realized, okay, I missed that the first time because I watched that movie several times. And uh, after I watched it the second time, I caught it then and yeah, realized, they, okay, they, that there's definitely a there there. Well, they punctuate it too, right? Because the one guy that never laughs finally laughs when that idea is delivered. Right. And I think that's the thing that uh, kind of made made it stand out for me more and then realize, OK, there's something to that. So yeah. then I did a little bit of researching on my own and I discovered that, hey, this is actually how how to do things. This is how they do it. Well, it goes to show you it's a whole other way of living. How many people in the course of a day that are going to come up with a plan to do anything take all the time to get these complex plans laid out, but then take the step we're talking about here to reverse engineer it out on what's the best way to roll it out um, and in steps and all these kinds of things. But at the very at the very foundation of the ideas expressed in this paragraph, um, I think you hit it on the head that, you know, it's the idea of the ends justifying the means. The elite also encode everything with their intention with phonetic Kabbalah right in the names of things. For instance, the Mandela effect. Mandela equals man delay. This is intended to slow down the awakening process that is currently underway, but think that it is actually expediting this process as the alchemical meme that is the Mandela effect has been highly charged with the opposite intention by so many experiencers as it as is possible through the dualistic nature of the occultation of the linguistic dialectic demonstrated earlier. So, the elite's intent was to delay the Great Awakening, but it would seem the opposite is happening because there is no stopping an idea whose time has come. Their intention to delay man's awakening can also be demonstrated by the, by the Las Vegas nonsense Mandalay Bay. There it is, man. Jason, the first time we got slapped down was episode 76, and it was on the Mandalay. And anyone can go back and look. The little crow cartoon is always thinking something in the episode images. A lot of times it's lyrics. And the reason is, is because we're all programmed. Like I can write lyrics and everyone out there recognizes what I'm writing. That's why I use them. But in this episode that got actually my YouTube channel was deleted for a while after episode 76, which is the one that got us censored. Um, the crow is thinking, delay the man with man delay. And the reason I did that is because you can't seem to find an actual meaning for the word Mandalay other than being a place. But that's a great paragraph, Wayne. Yeah, I kind of, uh, the realization hit me about the Mandela effect. This is the same thing. This is the uh, the phonetic Kabbalah intention behind the Mandela effect. So uh, whether whether you believe it's something that's real or not, um, it's having a definite real 
uh, effect on our reality in the minds of men. So, uh, and that effect, I think, was intended to slow down this awakening process by causing people to be confused and uh, not trust their own memories. And uh, I, I think it's actually seeming to have the opposite effect because there's a lot of people that are noticing this now and there's always new stuff cropping up. If you watch any of these guys that cover this stuff, there's always something new. Yeah. It's a big thing. It is a big thing. And I think there's, there's something behind it. And this, this kind of screams to me of an alchemical meme. Yes. And I'll add something more here. And I added it back on episode 76 where we covered the Vegas nonsense. Um, the, the phonetic Kabbalah idea you put forward sounds like, which is so heavily in use. People have no idea, or most people have no idea. Uh, Mandela also sounds like mandala. And in some usages in Eastern religions, the mandala would be a 2d representation of a 3d universe. So it's almost like in, in this usage where you're talking about a Mandela effect, you're trying to convince people that there's this magical side of the world that's inexplicable, which is in fact part of our reality, almost like you're building your own malformed mandala, your own 2D representation, the intent behind that idea. All right, since we're at the top of the hour here, let's get the last point in. Much of the earlier known Mandela effects involved the spelling or changing of words in media or entertainment, this demonstrating that phonetic Kabbalah was used to create the alchemical meme that is the Mandela effect. For instance, Berenstain becomes Berenstain from S-T-E-I-N to S-T-A-I-N. Sex in the city becomes sex and the city and on and on. From there, the alchemical meme escalated and took on a life of its own, further fed by the intention of experiencers, and as such has utilized the principle of mentalism to make real-world changes to our reality. The alchemical transmutation of the world mind further into fantasy. Really well said here, Wayne. Um, we're near the top of the hour. What do you want to add in here before we wrap up? Well, I think it's important for people to understand this whole concept of the alchemical meme. It's uh, like I, I think I had stated in the paper, it's the Cadillac of the social engineering tools that they have. And uh, with the Internet, it's being used in ways that it was never possible to use before. And we're being just socially conditioned and programmed to the hilt. It's it's like ridiculous anymore. So <laughs> if people understand these concepts, then they could see them and know what they are and not be necessarily, you know, sucked into them like they might be otherwise. I agree with that wholeheartedly, and I would further state it's a bit like the Cadillac of alchemical misuse being delivered over the Internet at the speed of light. Before I do the wrap-up here, does either one of you want to try to do with a single burp, say, the Kobayashi Maru? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, guys. Anyhow, that does bring Hour 1 of Episode 145 to a close. In Hour 2, we're going to be touching on some things that just probably will not fly in Hour 1 anymore. The censorship is horrendous. You, you folks have no idea how many thousands of hours I've put into this YouTube channel. And then over the course of the last month, everything has been decreased by more than 50%. It's shameful. It's shameful. But in Hour 2... Uh, we are going to use the idea that was put forth in the 1970, help me out somebody, 72, Three. 1973 movie, Soylent Green, where it was discovered that the food that was feeding 
a really wiped out world with not much nature left, food that was made from human beings. They were told that it was made from algae from the sea. Somebody in the movie discovers that the seas are dead. So that algae couldn't be coming from the sea. Lo and behold, they find out human beings are being put in the food. Well, we're here to tell you an hour or two, this is going on in real life, in our real world. There's even a company, believe it or not, I don't know why they did this, called Soylent. And they make what they call food. As a matter of fact, their food made a bunch of people sick in 2016. But we're going to take everything we learned in hour one about the alchemical misuse of, I guess, what I'll call... Uh, phonetic Kabbalah, mimetic. <laughs> I don't even know where to go with that. Um, but I think you understand where I'm trying to get to. And we're going to apply it to the real, wor- real world usage that was echoed in the movie of Soylent Green back in 73 that is going on today, particularly places like Pepsi Corp getting caught putting parts of human cadavers into the food supply. And that's what we're going to cover. So I hope to see you all over at crow777radio.com, where free speech is the rule, and that is not YouTube anymore. YouTube has jumped the shark, man, and it's a crying shame. Anyhow, there it is. Hope to see you all at crow777radio.com. Cheers.